Well, hello again, everybody. It's Giovanni McIver back with another edition of the By Joe Show for July 10th, 2023. And today, um, in keeping with the theme um, of bringing sanity back to the news, one story at a time, I'm going to do one of my uh, episodes where I go to the AP News and see what's happening and just comment on some of the reporting that's on their site uh, through the eyes of um, somebody who's worked in the business, um, but also through the eyes of someone who is now a psychotherapist. So I noticed this morning a couple of things that popped out at me immediately. And the first thing is a story about... Larry Nasser. So we all know about Larry Nasser, um, sports doctor um, who has been convicted of multiple crimes. He's in federal prison. Um, well, it turns out that, uh, you know, under the watchful eye of the people who are supposed to be in charge, he was stabbed multiple times. Um, by another inmate in this prison in Florida. Now, you know, everybody loves to hate a uh, someone who is a, an abuser. And, uh, yeah, we all understand why. But I think once we get past the, 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 the agreement that um, what he did was pretty heinous and, you know, that kind of thing, we, we can look at it a little bit more in detail. So... The article uh, starts out by talking about what he did um, and then what happened at this uh, penitentiary. So it looks like he was stabbed in the back and in the chest. Um, this is from the article. The two officers guarding the unit where Nassar was held were working mandated overtime shifts because of staffing shortages, one of the people said. So right then and there, you know, I think what you have to realize about the news is that people think that reporters go out and find this stuff. What is really more true is that people, institutions, and, you know, special interests put out press releases that the news picks up on and reports. And oftentimes what they do is they just report it verbatim without any kind of analysis whatsoever. And so we're already starting down that road where you can see that they're, they're kind of, you know, front and center, the very, very beginning of the article is the concern or the fact that there were shortages of staffing in this prison. Now, you know, there, there's certainly something to be said for uh, being sympathetic to the fact that you know, there aren't enough people to do the job properly. But, um, you know, I think it's a sign of the system. As the system wants to look the other way and punish this person and punish everybody in the prison by allowing these kind of holes so that other people can predate on the, on the people in prison. Now, in our justice system, the presumption is that when someone goes to jail, they'll be taken care of, you know, often in a minimalistic way, right? 
and that the justice system is keeping its eye on it and doing what it's supposed to do. But oftentimes, and many times, this is not the case. There's a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect going on in these in these prisons. And uh, this uh, so-called um, staffing shortage is just one, uh, one, one of the many kind of abuses that go on. But they don't call it that, right? Um, it is an abuse, and it should be seen as that. But it's just kind of seen as a, oh, well, that's just a too bad. That's too bad. I feel sorry. I feel sorry for people who, maybe not for this guy, you know, but I feel so sorry for the innocent people who um, have to pay a price higher than what the justice system requires. And of course, the same held true for Jeffrey Epstein. Now, in his case, stakes were much higher because there are some very powerful political people um, that have been associated with him and his, his kind of uh, debauchery. But uh, most of those people, it seems at this point, are going to get away with it. And many of the people who have been charged with, with, with those things, including Epstein and his girlfriend, um, have paid the price. But again, when Epstein was in, uh, in prison, guess what? The guards kind of looked the other way. And there didn't seem to be much of an investigation or you know, um, coming back to that. But um, you know, the fact that he died in prison was just, well, too bad. It doesn't matter anyway, because he's a predator. Right? Well, that's not how it should be. We should be acting like professionals. We should be acting like the justice system is taking care of the least of us. Right? The most heinous people. We should really be careful the way that we treat them. Because if we're treating those people that way, you know, we can be sure that the general population is also being treated that way. Because most of the people who are high profile have extra privileges. When they get attacked like that, just imagine if you're nobody, right? And um, and and someone has a beef with you, um, and and nobody cares because it's not newsworthy when something happens to you. But anyway, um, the people were not authorized to publicly dis- dis- discuss details of the attack or the ongoing investigation, and spoke to the AP on the condition of anonymity. Yeah, and of course, it's all going to be hush hush, and there's going to be investigations, but. It's going to be swept under the rug because this guy, everybody hates, right? But, you know, our emotions are not supposed to be dictating how we treat people under our care. So they talk about, you know, how long he's going to be in prison. They talk about why he's in prison. Um, And then they go back to the staff shortages. The Federal Bureau of Prisons has experienced significant staffing shortage in the last few years, an issue thrust into the spotlight in 2019, when the convicted financier Jeffrey Epstein took his own life at a federal jail in New York. Well, again, is that what happened? Did he take his own life? Well, let's say that is the scenario, right? Some people, more conspiracy-minded people, would think that, uh, you know, the guards killed him or someone killed him while the cameras were down and they were, you know, taking their, their break, right? But let's just say he took his own life. Well, even that shouldn't have occurred, right? Because if he was, I, I think he was on suicide watch. And what's the whole point of suicide watch? The whole point of suicide watch is to prevent people from killing themselves. It doesn't really matter if he wanted it to happen or not. You should be watching over the charges in your care. 
And that should have never happened, but it did nonetheless. And again, they're just saying, oh, well, that's too bad. It just happened that, you know, the staffing, it was the staffing. And they, they blame it on these anonymous people, you know, who you're never going to know what their names are or what, what exactly went down. But again, I think it's a very poor excuse and very poor reporting on top of it. But as I said, a lot of this stuff is just just projected out there verbatim. Um, so uh, an Associated Press investigation in 2021 revealed nearly one-third of federal correction officer positions were vacant nationwide. One-third forcing prisons to use cooks, teachers, nurses, and other workers to guard inmates. Okay, that is insane. The staffing shortages have hampered the response to emergencies at other prisons, including suicides. Now, to put cooks, teachers, nurses, and other workers in the position of guarding inmates is really absurd. I mean, most of these people should not be accepting that assignment. Um, In some cases, this would be considered unethical, professional conduct, right? But again, nobody's going to talk about the teachers and nurses doing it. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't understand because, of course, they they want their job and they want to, you know, do what they're supposed to do. But that is, you know, really on the management, right? Should not have, have put these people in compromising positions. Just imagine if one of those teachers or nurses was killed or otherwise severely injured. Um, ridiculous. And, of course, the people in the federal prisons are not necessarily like the kind that, you know, Larry Nasser and uh, Jeffrey Epstein go to are, are typically not hardcore like you would think. I'm not sure in, in their cases exactly, but, um, you know, nonetheless, there should not be this bleed over into professional responsibility just because you have, you have vacancies. Um, you should hurry up and try and hire some people. Right. And of course, you know, the prison industrial complex is not in a hurry to hire people because they want to do the least that they can possibly do to still make the profit that they're making from all these inmates. Right. Because the prisons and jails have become a for profit enterprise and that by very definition should not be allowed. That is where abuses come in. When you make it about the money first, and then the justice system, or the incarceration system. So we have a lot of problems here with boundaries, in other words. Um, Other AP investigations, okay, so they're saying they're actually investigating, which is nice, have revealed sexual abuse and criminal conduct, among other problems at the Bureau of Prisons, the Justice Department's largest agency with more than 30,000 employees, 150,000 inmates, and an annual budget of about $8 billion. Okay. So that gives you a, a kind of feel for the size of the business that they're working in. Um, that's just the federal right, Bureau of Prisons. Think about all the other um, agencies, either state, local, or municipal. So, yeah, the Bureau's new leader, Colette Peters, was brought in last year to reform the crisis-plagued agency. She has vowed to reform archaic hiring practices and bring new transparency, but problems have persisted, as shown by the recent suicide of Ted Kaczynski, 
known as the Unabomber at a federal lockup in North Carolina. Again, everybody hates Ted Kaczynski. You know, yes, he did some pretty horrible things, you know, um, but, you know, if you're going to incarcerate someone, you need to do it with some kind of ethical standard. Um, the fact that, you know, these suicides are so common among the high-profile people. Again, imagine about uh, the people who aren't high-profile. Imagine how many people have died in the quiet, in the, in the shadows of the system. So, yeah, on Sunday, one of the officers in NASA's unit was working a third straight day of overtime, each of them a 16-hour shift. One of the people familiar with the matter said the other officer was on a second straight day of mandate, mandated overtime, the person said. Yeah. Yeah, so here's a comment by uh, a person who was, who, who was first to come out and accuse Nasser of what he was doing. Um, she tweeted on Monday that none of the women she spoke with are, rejoice, are rejoicing that Nasser was, Nasser was attacked. We're grieving the reality that protecting others from him came with the near certainty we'd wake up to this someday. Yeah. Um, so she was like, ooh, you know, um, I, she was part of the, you know, rightly so, you know, of, of getting him put in prison. But even she's like, geez, this is, this makes it so dirty. Another victim said the stabbing forces her and others to relive their abuse and trauma at the hands of Nassar and the institutions, including law enforcement, that protected him and allowed him to prey on children. I want him to face a severe prison sentence he received because of the voices of survivors. I absolutely do not support violence because it's morally wrong and death would be an easy out for Nassar. Okay, so that's a little bit more of a, let's say, a vengeful, vengeful point of view, but you can understand that. Of course, this person was victimized. Um, but, you know, I think she's also um, saying in a way that is shows some amount of sensitivity and diplomacy, right? Even though she was a victim. Yeah, so then they talk more about what he did, right? Um, it looks like there's still open cases, you know, unresolved things from that time. Um... The Justice Department's Inspector General said in July 2021 that the FBI made fundamental errors in investigating the sexual abuse allegations against Nasser. It did not treat the case with the utmost seriousness. More athletes said they were molested before the FBI swung into action. Well, that's not a surprise. USA Gymnastics conducted its own internal investigation. Da 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 da. We talk about Michigan State's role. Um, and other things. But uh, this is the thing that really caught my eye. So in June 2022, the Michigan Supreme Court rejected a final appeal from Nassar. Attorneys for Nassar said he was treated unfairly in 2018 and deserved a new hearing based on vengeful remarks by Ingham, Ingham County Judge Rosemaria Ecalina, who called him a monster, quote-unquote, who would wither, quote-unquote, in prison like the Wicked Witch and the Wizard of Oz. I mean... The fact that judges are speaking like this publicly is just ridiculous. This should never be part of the deliberation. And, of course, it, it, uh, it has effects, right? It has effects. When the judge overseeing the case is basically saying, you know, um, 
you know, is basically giving you permission to see him as, you know, 100% horrible person, then of course people are going to feel inspired to attack him. And, you know, that's kind of what happens in, in prisons, right? Um, some of the inmates feel like if they dole out, you know, um, vigilante justice, then somehow that will make up for their own, you know, transgressions. But of course it doesn't. Completely separate things. Straight, state Supreme Court said that Nasser's appeal was a close question, quote-unquote, and that it had concerns, quote-unquote, over the judge's conduct. But the court also noted that Akalina, despite her provocative comments, stuck to the sentencing agreement worked out by lawyers in the case. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I read, I think they must have changed this report because um, the last time I read it, you know, she was she was saying about something about you know signing his death sentence and all this other stuff, very dramatic words, and um, you know, again, encouraging uh, bad behavior by anybody who would you know be vulnerable to exhibit, exhibiting it, you know, and they're going to look the other way. So that one definitely caught, you know, caught my eye. I, I, you know, the whole the whole tenor of it just seemed, um, you know, um, more based in emotional content than than in facts and the, you know, the true application of justice in this case. Um, so we'll keep going down. Um, See what else is going on. Um, some things about Twitter. I don't want to get into that. Um, drive-by shootings, of course. Um, a little bit of politics. Yeah. Madonna, even. Wow. So we have... Uh, Another person reporting on James Lewis, suspect in Tylenol poisoning that killed seven people in the Chicago area in 1982. Dead. Mm hmm. What else? Well, that's the U.S. news. Let's go to the world side of things because I saw a couple of things that really seemed a bit questionable. Um, one of them had to do with the war in Ukraine and the United States' decision to use cluster bombs. Um, it really got to me because you, you will see how much of the time that these articles, even though they're posted by AP News, are kind of, uh, you know, are, are, you know, in a way apologizing, making, making, rationalizations as to why that's okay, right? So cluster bombs are considered um, really not, um, by international law and the uh, rules of engagement, um, they're considered um, really not to be used because of the, the so-called collateral damage. They, they, because of the way they work, they end up killing a lot of innocent bystanders or civilians, and that's why we don't use them in wartime. But because there's a, such a shortage of um, things that you can bomb people with, they've decided that it's perfectly okay to start using them in the meantime. And when they finally have enough bombs that aren't cluster bombs, I guess they're going to 
start supplying them with them. But this is the thing. And this uh, will bleed over to the Guantanamo article. I hope I can find when I'm scrolling through. Um, you know, it's not what you do, right, when things are just normal. It's what you do when things are, when you're under pressure. And you're under pressure because this is a war that is seems to be dragging on. A lot of casualties, a lot of civilian casualties, certainly on the Ukrainian side. And... Um, you know, um, you just use practical things as excuses for rationalizing the use of something that you should never use, okay? Um, if you're doing it when you're under pressure, um, you can be sure, you, you know, there's that slippery slope argument that you're going to be using these things when there isn't necessarily that much pressure. And so this attitude that you're just going to go ahead and use them and, and, and statistically speaking probably kill many more civilians than you would have normally seems to be okay. And I guess they justify it by saying, well, if um, civilians are going to be killed, it's going to be Russian civilians, right? <laughs> so is that it's okay if they're Russian civilians, right? If they're Ukrainian civilians, that would be horrible, but we're going to be using this against the Russians, right? So it's okay because they're, they're you know, evil and... Uh, you know, I, I kind of, I'm much more on the Ukrainian side. I believe they have a right to defend themselves, but um, I don't know. Um, you know, disengaging from the rules of war, um, just because there's there happens to be a, a deficit of supply, it, it is kind of like the prison thing. Oh, it just so happens we don't have enough people, enough guards guarding the inmates, so shit's going to happen. That's too bad. Yeah, well, um, that should be a... A crime in itself, like understaffing should be considered a crime or some kind of breach of a regulation. And using cluster bombs when it's not appropriate should also be, should also be some kind of crime, especially if you, you end up killing innocent people with them. So that's the kind of loosey-goosey stuff logic that goes on um, when you're talking about these subjects. Um, and politics, and war, and punishing people, right? So let's see if I can find the article, the other articles that um, I was going to uh, cover today. Yeah, a little bit about Hunter Biden. Um, what else? Looking for something on it was on Guantanamo. You know, there's there's a uh, article here somewhere. Um, apparently, there was a person who got into Guantanamo who was a so-called independent observer for the first time after 20 years. Um, of course, we all know what happened at Guantanamo. I'm still really upset that the psychologists who were basically coaching people on how to torture people are still scot-free nothing has happened to them i think they retired but um that should be scandalous and um you know you know trying to convince people that torture is a necessary thing was absurd when george w bush and his his uh, administration tried to do it but 20 years later doesn't make it any better doesn't make it any more excusable in fact it's worse that two decades later you still can't see why what the United States government did 
was a problem. So, you know, I don't know what's ever going to come of that because, you know, apparently there are, there are at least 30 men still incarcerated at Guantanamo Bay. Um, you know, generally speaking, several investigations concluded that, you know, the vast majority of these people had nothing to do or had any information that would have been useful for, um, you know, intelligence purposes after 9-11, but they still, still, you know, kept them in there. So, and to this day, I mean, um, they don't have rights. They don't have, you know, it's, it's just not a normal situation. The way they were taken, this rendering business was, was ex, extra judicial and their limbo in that jail is extrajudicial and nothing seems to be, you know, we don't seem to be able to do anything about it. And that's where there's a, a lack of um, coordination or a lack of even a mechanism um, in, uh, in the law or in the international law to make sure that these things don't, these abuses don't happen. And of course, all those things, all those abuses were, were, are, are probably going to get, you know, people who are doing it are going to get away with it. And, um, you know, we're never going to double back on it. And, you know, the only, the only thing that's going to happen is we're going to probably, you know, say, oh, you know, too bad it happened, but we'll learn from that and we won't do it again. Well, you know, you have a generation go by and they conveniently forgot, you know, that, other such abuses happened in the past, and that maybe we shouldn't go down that road. Um, but uh, that's the tragedy of not being able to learn. You know, some people have to experience something, you know, in order to change their ways. Other people can just read about it and say, hey, that's, that's wrong, right? Um, but I, I think those people are few and far between, so... Can't seem to find the article, but you get the idea. Um, what else do we have here? There are a couple of good articles, I think, um, but I just can't find them. Um, they do. It's it's funny because the AP News they they keep the same articles up forever, and then suddenly they they disappear. Um, but just when you need them. Well, here it is: Guantanamo detainees. Tell first independent visitor about scars from torture and hopes to leave. So, at the U.S. Detention Center at Guantanamo Bay, the aging men known by their serial numbers arrived at the meeting shackled. Every single one told the visitor, for many the first independent person they had talked to in 20 years, you came too late. Well, of course, the visitor had no control over that, so you can't even, you know, it's so absurd that you can't even... You know, just saying that doesn't doesn't even make sense. But but they still talked about the scant contacts with their families, their many health problems, the psychological and physical physical scars of the torture and abuse they experienced, and their hopes of leaving and reuniting with their loved ones. For the first time since the facility in Cuba opened in twenty twenty in twenty o two, a U.S. president has allowed a United Nations independent investigator to visit. So it's an Irish person. I'm not even going to try to say that name. Anyway, she said in an interview with the Associated Press that it's true she came too late because a total of 780 
Muslim men were detained there following the 9-11 terrorist attacks that killed nearly 3,000 people. And today, there are just 30 remaining. The United Nations had tried for many years to send an independent investigator, but was turned down by the administrations of George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. So you can see how how, ubiqui- how ubiquitous that 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 defensive attitude is. It doesn't matter if you're a right-winger, left-winger, you know, a former TV star, you know, um, they, they all just are no. So the investigator praised President Joe Biden's administration for allowing critical voices into the facility. She expressed hope other governments that have, been bar- that have barred UN special investigators will follow Biden's example. Okay. But I think there was a shared understanding that at this point, with only 30 of them left, while I can make recommendations and they will hopefully substantially change the day-to-day experience of these men, the vast majority of the lives was lived in a context where people like myself in the UN had no influence. She said she's visited many high-security prisons during her six years as UN human rights investor, including some built for those convicted of terrorism and related serious offenses. But there is really no population on Earth like this population that came to Guantanamo Bay in the circumstances in which they came rendered across borders. There's that word, render, right? Yep, even though she said the attacks on September 11 were crimes against humanity, the treatment of the detainees at Guantanamo is unjustified. The vast majority were brought there without cause and had no relationship to the terrorist attacks, she wrote, adding that all of the men still alive suffer from psychological and physical trauma. Well, if that's the case, why are they still there? Right? It's because someone has to pay, right? We have a tendency to say, okay, something happened to us, and just instead of just accepting it, saying, oh, well, there's not much we can do about that, it's an asymmetrical attack, etc., etc., we have to punish somebody, even if they're innocent, right? There's a certain amount of closure in there, psychological closure that's driving this, I think. Yeah, which is really sick. That's not how justice is supposed to be served, okay? Um, the Biden administration, which said it wants to close the Guantanamo facility, well, if it does, why doesn't it? It's had plenty of time. Said in a statement attached to the report that the findings are solely her own. Okay, I doubt that's true. She's a representative of the UN, and she's uh, investigating civil rights things. She's legally competent. Um, I don't think they're solely her own. I, I think if you read the report, you would see all sorts of annotations and um, legitimate uh, argumentation. So, you know, to characterize it in that way, even though he seemed to approve of this visit, is really, you know, absurd. The United States disagrees in, in significant respects with many factual and legal assertions, but it will carefully review her recommendations. Well, that basically means they're going to throw it in the trash and they don't care because nothing, you know, it's not like she discovered anything new you know, and, and scandalous that would, that would, you know, really dictate that they, you know, pay attention to it. So, you know, that's just a, a very clever and bureaucratic way of saying, we don't care what she says, and we're going to throw it in the trash. Yeah, and then they asked her, what did you see, personally speaking, right? She said all U.S. personnel are required to address detainees by their internment serial numbers, not their name, which she called dehumanizing. Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, calling people by their number? 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in any situation where I'm called by a number. It's it's awfully reminiscent of of uh, Nazi concentration camps, right? I mean, maybe they should have just had the numbers tattooed on their arms, for that matter. I'm not, I mean, wouldn't even be surprised if that's the case. But geez, that would, I mean, if you're doing that, if, if you don't see the connection between what the Nazis did, um, uh, you, you, you're missing a couple, couple of links, I would say. Um, she said she's especially concerned about three detainees who have not been charged and live in a complete legal limbo, which is completely inconsistent with international law, of course. Of the others, 16 have been cleared to leave but haven't found a country willing to take them, and 11 still have cases pending before U.S. military commissions. Okay, well, why don't we get those commissions working? Why don't we take them in? You know, it sounds like pretty, pretty, it sounds pretty much like, you know, they don't have much of a case against these people. So are they dangerous? I don't think so. don't think so. I don't know why nobody wants to take them. Um, I'm not saying that as a, a matter of fact. I'm just saying I'm not sure why, you know, some people have found countries that will take them in. But, you know, it's our responsibility. We're the ones who put them there. And if we have to bring them to the United States, we bring them here. When the detainees were brought to meet her, they were shackled, which she said is not standard practice even for those convicted of terrorism. Under international law, she said, people cannot be shackled except for imperative security reasons. And her, in, and in her view at Guantanamo, it should be prohibited and used only as a last resort in exceptional circumstances. Of course, the shackling is meant only to punish. There's no security problem. They have no ability to escape the prison or to do any other, you know, they are so screwed. Unlike the people in the federal prison system, they are probably watched 24-7, you know, with plenty of staffing and um, not likely that they're going to do anything that, uh, you know, you wouldn't want them to do. You're dealing with an elderly, vulnerable population who are incarcerated. So you got to remember that this is 20 years ago. So if these people arrested in their 40s, they're 60 now. Um, these men, because they are torture victim survivors, they have difficulties concentrating. Oh, that's the least of what you can be concerned about. They have challenges with recurrent memory, somatic pain. We're talking about PTSD, of course. Why don't we just say it? Many of them struggle with mobility and other issues, including permanent disabilities, traumatic brain injuries, chronic pain, and gastrointestinal and urinary problems, she said. Well, that's not a surprise when you're tortured. Um, they go on to say, force feeding has been an ongoing practice in response to their hunger strikes, which along with suicidal ideas and self-harm speak to the core finding of this report, which is the deep and profound despair of the individuals who have been held without trial for 20 years. Could you think of anything more alarming that could happen to you? That you're an innocent person and you'd be treated as if you're the, you're, you're, you're the devil himself? have not seen their family members, have, have no access to the outside world except their lawyers. Yeah, Practices like using restraints cause added psychological distress for many of the detainees. Yep. Okay. When the men still at Guantanamo and those who have been released, what the men still at Guantanamo and those who have been released need most, she said, is torture rehabilitation, every single one. And the U.S. is a leader in torture rehabilitation. What the heck does that mean? Um, we know how to dole it out. I don't know that, the, that we, is there such a thing as torture rehabilitation? I mean, um, you know, PTSD is something that doesn't have, 
a, you know, an overwhelming success rate in, in and of itself. Torture is another step up on that kind of, you know, pain inflicted on an in individual. And um, the, the chances that you're uh, going to kind of rehabilitate people seems to me, you know, a pipe dream. I mean, these people are going to be permanently incapacitated because of the you know, behavior of the military. Yeah. So I don't know <laughs> what that's supposed to mean. That's the UN representative saying that. She welcomed Biden's extraordinary statement on June 26th, the International Day in Support of Victims of Torture. The irony, reaffirming U.S. opposition to all forms of inhumane treatment and our commitment to eliminating torture and assisting torture survivors as they heal and in their quest for justice. Well, it sounds like they're doing the opposite. They don't want to hear about it. That tells me there is a capacity to remedy here. Well, I think that's a very naive position. You don't, you don't, uh, you know, judge something by what, by some, you don't assess a situation by what people say about it. You assess a situation by behavior, behavior of the people who are, involved and the behavior here is to ignore and obfuscate right they just want everybody to stop talking about it so that they don't have to answer to it so rehabilitation is critical for all torture victims she said but also for ourselves because that's what democracies do we look at our past we take it on board and we address it because democracies are self-correcting well, again, I mean, I guess I understand that she's trying to make an intellectual argument there and, and kind of press people, but uh, that also seems very naive. Um, democracies in and of themselves um, don't necessarily uh, have those attributes. Um, it depends on the people in the democracy many times. Um, so this person called the communal meals and communal called the communal meals and the communal prayer for all detainees, which the U.S. emphasizes, is very important. So she's giving them kind of little plus marks for certain things. The men themselves are enormously important to each other in their rehabilitation. She said there is an enormous bond of support and fraternity and care among these men for each other. Of course there is. That's all they have. You know, would you be surprised if they did, they, they, they didn't feel that way? I think so. Yeah, some of the detainees have some privileges. They're able to watch television and read books, and there are language classes, some opportunities to learn about computers and art lessons. She said she was really gratified the Biden administration recently decided to allow detainees to take as much of their artwork as is practical when they leave. Oh, isn't that just a lovely consolation prize? This creative work is enormously important to these men. Okay. Among the many recommendations in the report, for torture, rehabilitation, and additional education and training, especially for those cleared to leave. Okay, but what about, again, the people who perpetrated these crimes? There's, there's really not a lot of talk about this. Um, I think she's hedging her bet because if she were to go that far, it's kind of like, you know, reparations for slavery. When people start arguing for that, it's like one step too far for a lot of people to handle. I'm not saying that's right. I think it's ridiculous, but, you know, in the real world, I guess I, there's some sway to that idea, but, you know, she just wants 
results. She wants these people free. So she's not going to spend too much time being critical. I mean, I guess that's all out in the open. We know what happened. You know, we know who the players are. We know they're all going to get away with it. But, you know, this is what supposedly a democracy should do, right? Is to circle back on something and have a mechanism with which to prevent these kind of things happening. But when they do happen that you punish the people who are responsible for the abuse and the torture. I mean, what, what crime is more heinous than torture? Because of, you could say, well, murdering and all this. Stuff. Well, of course, part of torturing is, I'm sure many people died. You know, um, you know they talk about detainees who have died. And, uh, you know, it just raises my suspicion. Did they die? you know, just of natural causes, or did it die? Because they, you know, there's just such a thing in psychology as the failure to thrive, right? When you feel like there's no hope, even if you don't have a physical problem, your psychology will sometimes create the physical problems with which you will die. And um, I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, many of the people who just supposedly died from natural causes are Really, truly, um, the the etiology of it is is still in the torture, right? So she keeps going on torture rehabilitation. You know, it's like if you say it enough times, and hopefully it'll happen. These men are going to go out into the world. Many of them were young men, and they were detained and rendered to Guantanamo Bay. They're now old men, middle-aged men, who have to figure out how to go back into life. And many of them have huge anxieties about providing for their families and about being fathers after so many years. Well, <laughs> I think the huge anxieties are much deeper than that. They're going to have problems just functioning, let alone taking care of anybody. So, oh, again, just the, 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 mm, you know, when you want your goals to be met, you will, you kind of argue in a certain way. And I think, you know, while it might be smart and get the result that you want, um, it also just seems so false to me and probably to many people, fair-minded people, you know, who really think that, you know, something should be done um, about what happened. There should be a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission at the very least, um, and uh, I don't think um, leaders of country should be exempt when they sign off on torture, you know, like any other thing. I mean, people who do extrajudicial killings should not be immune. Um, but that's why the United States never signs into the International Court Agreement, because they know that if they do, they're going to be subject to certain limitations, right? And we don't want that because we are the supposed only superpower who wants to um, pretty much do as they please and, and feel as if everything that they do is completely justified, right? Well, that can't be the case. I mean, I would say many of the things we do are not justified. Um, the military itself is not justified. You know, the budget itself for the military it's not just who is attacking us, exactly. You know, we have a defense department that never defends. The only thing that we do is attack. So I'm trying to figure out what, what, why we need so much money. You know, if we had a military 
that, you know, really protected our country be much smaller, much more close to home, and um, we wouldn't get into situations like this. The very fact that 9-11 happened was really a result of the United States meddling overseas and things that they probably should have kept their nose out. Well, the chickens came home to roost, and uh, you know, a terrible price was play, paid. But, you know, pe people sometimes simplify things to such an extent that it's like a cartoon. Um, I don't think anybody overseas in Pakistan or Af Afghanistan or Iraq or any of these places where we think there are all these, all these terrorists being harbored, I mean, um, Somalia, you name it, I mean, the, the war on terror was really um, an overreaction and has done so much damage. And I would not be surprised in the future. Of course, you know, public opinion of the United States has dropped dramatically since then um, because of all the abuses and all the um, kind of attempts to to pigeonhole people into our point of view. You know, um, we don't have to go the opposite way where we just isolate completely. But I really think the pendulum has to come back um, and hope it does. Um, but not, not when we have this two-party system. You know, you can see from the article that uh, it doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat, you know, a uh, shyster from a TV show, they're all taking the same position. And that's sad. So we need somebody. And uh, from my point of view, I, I'm putting my, my vote with, um, with um, Cornell West because I feel like he cares. I don't feel like any of these other people truly care. Maybe Marianne Williamson. But the fact that she's trying to do it through the Democratic Party is just a non-go non, uh, you know, no for me because she's going to be crushed like Bernie was. Anyway... I will lay off the politics, that kind of politics, and say that, yeah, this is going to be it for By Jove on July 10th, 2023. Yes, just a little meandering through the AP News feed and um, kind of my interpretation of, of, you know, what's put out there officially and what probably the reality is behind it. Anyway, um, I hope to have another show coming up. Um, I have several topics that I would like to explore I haven't been able to get to yet. Um, one of which is um, kind of talking about the Supreme Court. Because the Supreme Court has had quite a few decisions coming, and uh, I believe they've ended the term, and that's when they all come out. And uh, very radical, radical decisions being made. And uh, if there ever has been an activist court, this is it. They seem to decide on the basis of ideology and, you know, um, less on the legal, um, you know, facts than on their, on their particular persuasion. But we will get to that. And I have this whole scheme about who's who on the Supreme Court, you know, in any group, there's sort of nicknames for the kinds of people in the group, right? You know, there's the expert, there's the, the bystander, there's the provocateur, those say. And yeah, so for each of the Supreme Court justices, I have come up with a certain a certain name and a certain 
um, role that they play in this group on the Supreme Court. And uh, I'd like to put that out there probably next time. But anyway, until then, yeah, I hope you have a good day and see you in a couple days.